Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Um, we're going to do something a little different in this episode. I'm going to start off by reading the Apostles' Creed. Every now and then, I like to go back and spend a season where I read the Apostles' Creed every day in front of whatever it is I'm reading in the Bible. It's a concise summation of what I believe, written by the Church Fathers centuries ago. And I need sometimes to be reminded of the core truth of what it is I believe as a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you'll indulge me, I will read the Apostles' Creed and you'll see, you'll see it on your screen if you're watching the video version of this. And then we'll get into today's devotional. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it makes my heart sing. All right, well, let's get started and move into our devotional today in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Get your coffee and your Bible and join me as I think with my mouth open. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I'm Page, your caffeine-imbued host, and here's my caffeine. And the heavenly choir sang, in the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. And it was, and it is. Well, today we are continuing our jaunt in the 2 Samuel 19, and we're reaching the end of David's life. We're toward the backside of his life. Uh, we've just finished a five-part series on what I call the Absalom conspiracy, where his son Absalom attempted to take the kingdom from him. Um, and we're going to read, I'm going to share something with you I read today from somebody who understands the Talmud much better than I do. And they explain when in David's reign this thing with Absalom took place. And it might explain a lot of things of why Absalom decided now was the time to do what he did. And it might explain a couple other things that are going on. So let's just, let's get started. And let me just read, you can read with me uh, this, this excerpt from this article. Absalom started his rebellion against his father David in the 40th year after the beginning of Saul's reign. This would make that the 37th year of David's reign. Now, David reigned for 40 years. This would make David 67 years old at the start of Absalom's rebellion. David died at age 70 after reigning for 40 years. Now, I don't know how long the rebellion lasted, this author says, but probably a year, which would make David 68 when Joab thrust three darts into Absalom's heart as he swung by his very long hair entangled in the low branch of an oak tree. All right, this actually, this actually would explain a few things to me. First of all, 
maybe this explains a little bit about why Absalom thought this was an ideal moment to try to steal the kingdom from his father because his father was getting feeble. His father was no longer the, the vibrant young warrior king uh, who had a firm grasp on everything. Maybe David was slowing down. He was getting long in the tooth. Plus, this would also explain why when he wanted to go out into battle in the final battle of Absalom, why his general said, no, King David, you need to stay at home. Ugh. You're too old, David. You're no longer the vibrant hero of Israel. You're no longer the powerful young teenager that slayed Goliath the giant. David's getting old. And this happened toward the end of his life. And even though God has blessed his, his reign, it's, things are starting to unravel. And he's not quite as strong as he was in his younger years, and maybe he's losing control a little bit. So that kind of puts the stuff into perspective, doesn't it? David is getting old. So with that, let's start with chapter 19. And I, I've got to tell you something before we get started with this. I'm getting really fed up with Joab and his brother, Abishai. Their arrogance and their um, pretentious attitude just... And their viciousness, and you'll see that in a bit too, just absolutely stuns me. And again, I can't understand what hold this has on David, except perhaps, we've seen this, if David has a blind spot, it's towards family. He mourned Absalom, we're getting ready to see. He mourns Absalom, even though Absalom wanted him dead. Joab does not have David's best interests at heart. And yet he keeps Joab on. In fact, in one spot, several chapters back, we saw where David was actually a little afraid of Joab, his nephew. I don't get it. But we're going to see some stuff here. And um, life is not perfect. And it's not perfect for David. So let's get started. Joab was told, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, my son Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth until now. Some ways, I can appreciate and I can see the appropriateness of the tough love that's being displayed here by Joab. But the choice of words betrays something inside of Joab. They tell me more about Joab's attitude towards David. He's acting more like a uh, an angry father than he is acting as David's nephew. He's David's nephew. David is his elder. David is an old man. 
and he's berating this old man. Honestly, I got absolutely furious. There's, There would have been a better way to do this, I would think. But Joab is displaying his heart and his attitude towards David, and there is no respect here. He does not respect David. I see this as an incredibly presumptive act on his part. I can't, I can't help but wonder what in the world does he have on David that David allows this kind of behavior. Mm. Oops, I'm sorry, wrong screen. Here we are. So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. And when the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. Throughout the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing among themselves, saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He's the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he's fled the country to escape from Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed king to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So there's this big argument going inside the, the nation, Israel. David's kingdom has been usurped by Absalom. Absalom's been killed in battle. And nobody is welcoming David back. You know, and there, there's some folks are saying, you know, this is the guy who killed Goliath. This is the guy who delivered us from the Philistines. He is a national treasure. Why is no one welcoming him back? So David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, his tribe, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his, place, his palace? Since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king in his quarters, you're my relatives, my own flesh and blood. Why should you be the last to bring back the king? David's saying, look, I want to come home. I need you there. And say to Amas, Amasa, Amasa, ah, sorry, you know me in the names. He had been uh, Absalom's general. Are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me be ever so severely if you are not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab. All right. Some might think this would be an odd move. That he's talking to the general of the army that tried to destroy him. And he's appointing him to be head general in place of Joab. So you can see that Joab is wearing out his welcome. Finally, either David's finally getting up the nerve to deal with Joab. I'm not sure. It appears to be that way. But also this might have been a political move because by promoting Amasa and inviting him in to his inner circle, he's actually securing the loyalty of Judah. Look, um, look at, let's see here, what happens next. It says, he won over the hearts of the men of Judah. So they were all of one mind. All right, this might, it could be referring to David, but I don't think so. Because in light of what he just did with Amasa, it's possibly that Amasa was the one who brought Judah into the fold to welcome David back. That's a very real possibility. Now, let's look, talk about the fact that he replaced Joab with Amasa. Joab is displaced. 
As of this moment, Joab is no longer the head general of David's army. But it doesn't last long because Joab is going to murder Amasah as well, just like he did Abner. David won't forget this. On his deathbed, which is to a couple years from this moment on, when he's handing the kingdom over to Solomon, he tells Solomon this in Second King, in First Kings 2, 5 and 6. Now you yourselves know what Joab, the son of Zerai, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner and Amasah. Abner, son of Ner, and Amasah, son of Jether, he killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Now, for whatever reason, David is unable to get Joab executed by himself. Don't know what the deal is. But his instructions to Solomon in a couple years seal Joab's fate. And this also tells us an awful lot about Joab. Joab isn't the beloved confidant telling David to get off your butt and go out there and honor the men that saved you. No. Joab is mean, brutal, a bully, and he has something on David that does not allow David to deal with him. I don't know what that is. Oh, it bugs me. But I also know that sometimes family is the most complicated dynamic of all. Sometimes blood family is absolutely the most confusing and frustrating thing. Uh, what can you do? I don't know. So apparently David doesn't know. So he, possibly Amasah, won over the hearts of the men of Judah, so they were all of one mind. They sent word to the king, return you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as Jordan. Mm. Now, the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahiram, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba, remember him? Mephibosheth's steward? The steward of Saul's household and his 15 sons and 20 escorts. Remember, he, he had brought, he had brought uh, David a bunch of donkeys with uh, provisions when David was initially fleeing from Jerusalem. And he had also accused Mephibosheth, his master, of betraying David. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household, or, king's household over and to do whatever he wished. When Shimei, remember him, the guy who cursed David on his way out? When Shimei, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. Abishai, brother of Joab, son of Zerai, said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. David replied, In my mind's eye, I'm hearing David raise his voice. What does this have to do with you? sons of Zerai. He's including Joab in this. What does this have to do with you, sons of Zerai? 
What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I, by inference, not you, don't I know that today I am king over Israel? David is indignant. <laughs> Abishai, and by extension, Joab, has stepped on David's last nerve. The arrogance and presumption of these two brothers is amazing. They're trying to boss him around. He's the king. They're not the king. And yet they're trying, rather than Absalom just yanking the king out and becoming king, they're trying to control the king like puppet masters. And David's saying, you know, what does this have to do with you? You don't think I know that I and not you am king of Israel? Mm. So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. I found this article. It said, David's reply to Abishai echoes verbatim his response to him into a, in an identical context earlier. David's in full control of the situation and he alone will determine Shimei's fate. David's response addressed to both Joab and Abishai, they have become his adversaries. They're his legal accusers. Wanting to know why Abishai thinks he has to stand up for the king's rights as if he were king, David rhetorically asked whether anyone should be executed. Turning to Shimei, he promises him on oath that his life will be spared. Now, enter Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. And when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and I will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. Huh. Stop and think about this for a second. Ziba had been Saul's steward, right? Remember that? That meant he managed Saul's properties. And David made him a servant to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. There was probably more than a little bitterness there. After the death of Saul, Ziba had become more powerful and more wealthy, and then, and then David the king made him a servant to Mephibosheth. In his eyes, probably a gross, a gross miscarriage of justice and a, and a uh, depromotion, if you will, a demotion. And... Mephibosheth says, look, I said, hey, get my donkey saddled so I can go see, the, so I can go be with the king. And Ziba left with Mephibosheth's donkey. Mephibosheth had nothing to ride because Ziba had taken it from him. And then Ziba goes to David on his way out of the city and betrays Mephibosheth and tells David the story that Mephibosheth has gone over to Absalom. And remember, David gave all of Mephibosheth's property to Ziba. So he says, Ziba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. My lord, the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from the lord, the king, but you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. 
So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, Why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. Curious. Curious. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him take everything. Now that my lord the king has returned home safely. I can't help but think that this is a test by David to see who's telling the truth. Do you remember uh, later on? Do you remember? We haven't gotten there yet. How could you remember? Later on, Solomon, when he becomes king, is judging between two women who bring a child, and they're both claiming to be the mother of this child. And the one mother says, we both had gave birth at the same time. Her son died, and she took my son and calls it hers. And the other woman said, no, no, no. Hers, it was her son that died. This is my son. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, said, you know what? Bring me a sword. I'm going to cut this baby in half, and you can each have half of him. Well, the real mother said, no, don't kill him. Let her, let her take him. Let her take him. And the other mother said, yeah, cut him in half. I don't care. Well, that proved who the real mother was. I'm kind of wondering if that's the kind of situation that's happening here. Mephibosheth says, Ziba betrayed me. And Ziba's saying, Mephibosheth betrayed you. So he says, you know what? Divide the property up amongst yourself between the two of you. And Mephibosheth says, oh, let him take everything. Let him have everything. And I don't know if that means that this property was actually returned to Mephibosheth and Ziba goes away. I, I don't know. It's a curious little thing in here. I, I get the feeling that the rest of the story is not told. But I kind of get the feeling that this was a test by David. Now, Barzillai the Gileadite also came down from Rosalem to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. Now, Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanam, for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem. I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, how many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? He says, I'm getting really old, David. Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? He knows he doesn't have many years left. So your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return that I, may, that I may die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. Here is your servant, Kimmim, probably one of his sons. Let him cross over with the Lord, the king. Do for him whatever you wish. The king said, Kimmim will cross over with me and I will do for him whatever you wish. Anything you desire from me, I will do for you. David's incredibly grateful because it's very possible that this old man saved his life when he was fleeing from Absalom. So all the people crossed the Jordan. Then the king crossed over. The king kissed Barzillai and bid him farewell, and Barzillai returned to his home. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him. All the troops of Judah, half the troops of Israel, had taken the king over the Jordan River. Now, don't forget, Israel had been fighting David 
underneath Absalom. So there and Judah. I don't know if Judah was part of that rebellion. You know, I, I, I haven't paid much attention to that, to be honest. But Judah is David's family, David's tribe. And this is not an easy alliance between Judah and the rest of Israel. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan together with all his men? He didn't steal him away. But there's anger between Israel and Judah. And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves? We haven't taken advantage of our relationship with him. He's one of ours. Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, so we have a greater claim on David than you have. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. All right, we're starting to see the schism between Judah and the rest of the tribes of Israel. Goodness. Uh, David's got another problem. <laughs> it, there's... It's not easy being the king. There's a skit going around saying uh, that uh, Mel Brooks, where he was saying, it's good to be the king. Sometimes not so much. David is coming back into a whole new situation. First of all, he's very old. He's elderly. He's getting close to the end of his life. He's ruled for almost 40 years. And he just overcame an insurrection by one of his sons. And now he's having the tribes of Israel and the tribes of Judah at each other's throat. It doesn't look like this last period of his life is going to be much fun. Oh. There's a lot of lessons to be pulled from this, I guess, but the, the biggest thing that I have, that I was impressed with when reading this, is the absolute temerity and audacious audacity of Joab and his brother Abishai. I don't, I'm shocked at their lack of respect. I'm shocked at their outright cruelty and brutality. And again, I just don't understand why David is doing this, acting like he does. Except I can understand that David has a blind spot. And that blind spot has to do with family. And you see that with I that's the only that's the only reason I can see that he allows Joab and Abishai to hang around. Their family. What do you do with family? I had a very dear friend of mine, old man, who had uh made plans with his wife to retire. And they had a few years to go before they were going to retire to their vacation home in Arizona. And he had decided that he would rent half of his house out. He had a duplex. He'd rent half of it to his son and his son's family. And then his son would pay him rent. And then they, they had made the decision that they would take that rent and put it aside in an account. 
And then when they came time to retire, they would pull that money out of that account and use that as a down payment for their son so that he'd have a sizable piece of money that he could put as a down payment so he could buy the house entirely. And wouldn't you know it, that son never paid a lick of rent. Maybe a couple months. But never paid a lick of rent. And when he was asked why he allowed his son to live there, this father said, he's, he's my son. Am I going to kick my own son out to the street? Family sometimes is a very crushing dynamic to deal with. I'm grateful for the fact that I have a son and a daughter who don't behave in that manner. I sometimes wonder if Joab and Abishai were taking advantage of David being king. I'm almost convinced of it. And their family. And what are you going to do with family? Ah, that's hard, isn't it? That's a hard thing. And I think I'll just leave this there. I'm just, um, I don't have any grand lessons that God's teaching me this, except the danger of family. <laughs> I don't know. It's, this is a tough one. Uh, I, I'm appreciating David's position more, and I'm feeling sorry for him. And at the same time, I'm so grateful that my children do not treat me, that my family does not treat me the way David's family is treating him. <sighs> hmm. All right, well, that's enough for today. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>